you have your Bibles, as I was saying, we encourage you to go to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. We're using one of the Bibles provided for you there in the seats, page 554. Let's just continue on in our series. So, at Yale University, told or what I read is that the most popular course in the history of Yale University. Right? Yale's been around for a few years. Um, so, it was offered in 2017. It was called Psych 157 Psychology and the Good Life. Uh, nearly one fourth of Yale's undergraduates registered for this class. The professor, we talked, of course, said that she tries to teach the students how to lead a happier, more satisfying life. So no wonder the course caught on. A report in 2013 by Yale College Council found that more than half of their undergraduates sought mental health care from the university while they were half, more than half. One of the professor's principal lessons of the things is that the things that Yale undergrads must associate with achieving happiness is like a high grade, a prestigious internship, a good paying job. Those do not actually, in fact, increase happiness at all. Scientists didn't realize, I'm quoting her, scientists didn't realize this in the same way 10 or so years ago. Our institutions about what will make us happy, like winning the lottery or getting a good grade, are totally Pursuit of happiness, right? pursuit of what will satisfy us. Remember last year when one of our own, Blake, was baptized last year, this was from his testimony that he read. He said, over the years I realized that there's nothing I could do to save myself. I tried to find true peace, happiness, enjoy my life and life situation. I could not find it, though I tried to fill myself with lots of different things. Happiness seems elusive. Perhaps you have come to the conclusion that happiness just isn't in the cards for you. From what people know of Ecclesiastes, it seems that the author, Kohelet, is going to agree. Everything is heaven, right? Everything's heaven. Sigh. Yet, in our text today, he's going to surprise us. And he surprised us a little bit last week because we looked at chapter 2, but he's going to surprise us in our text today. So I'm going to read the text, I'm going to read the whole chapter, 22 verses, okay, and then we'll pray, and then you'll die. Alright? Ecclesiastes chapter 3. For everything there's a season, and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill, and a time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up, a time to weep. And a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones, and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek, and a time to lose. A time to keep, a time to cast away. A time to tear, and a time to sow. A time to keep silence, and a time to speak. A time to love, and a time to hate. A time for war, and a time for what gain has the worker from his toil? I've seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. 
Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that the people fear before Him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks but has been driven away. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice even there was wickedness. In the place of righteousness even there was wickedness. I, I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every word. I said in my heart, with regard to the children of man, that God is testing them, that they may see what they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. Well, as one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beast, for all is vanity. I'll go to one place. All are from the dust, and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward, or the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will, what will be after him? Let's pray. God, you've heard the reading of your word, your holy word. We're so thankful for it. We pray, God, that we would respond well to it. I pray that I'd be able to communicate it in a way that is helpful and accurate to the text um, that we have just read. Father, I pray that your spirit would remove distractions from us right now. It's easy for us to begin to think in all sorts of different ways. And I pray that we'd be able to hone in on what you have for us here. And God, in order for me to communicate in a way that's helpful, in order for us to be distraction-free, we need your spirit to reign. And we need to be submitted to your spirit. So that's why we're pausing. And we're bowing before you and we're asking that you would, you would do it only. And may this time be profitable and honored. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So here's where we're going to go today. Is if we're going to summarize our, our thought today, it would be this, that a time for everything includes enjoying life under the sun. A time for everything includes enjoying life under the sun. Let me do a couple of uh, uh, way by way of remembrance here. Uh, remember life under the sun. What is that referring to? This is uh, a phrase that the author here, we don't, aren't 100% sure who the author is, but you think it was Solomon and we could very well have met Solomon. If it wasn't Solomon, it was a Solomon-like figure or someone trying to communicate as if they were Solomon and not in a deceitful way, but just in a way that was very typical of ancient years and literature at that time. Koheleth is the name that we go by because that's what it means in chapter 1. And so what he is communicating here is that life under sun is the sin-cursed world that humans experience. What is found here, we talked about this last week, it's, it's a world full of beautiful waterfalls and rainbows, but also of thorns, thistles, pain and sorrow, the things that are not found in heaven with God. That's what he means by life under the sun. 
And remember that Kohalath, our author here, is that he is raising questions to ponder. He's not necessarily giving full answers. And so as we raise, as questions are raised in the text here, we immediately want to find out how he's answering every one of those questions, and we're disappointed when we finally realize that's not his intention. His intention is for us to ponder these things, and then to get hints at some of these answers, but then we see the rest of Scripture that fills in those gaps for us. So what we're going to do today, as we explore this idea that a time for everything includes enjoying life under the sun. We're going to look at the cycle of life, and then we're going to look at a central question about life, and then finally, that there's a complicating factor in life. That's what we're going to do. So first of all, the cycle of life, the cycle of life. If you're of the boomer generation, you probably, as I read verses 1 through 8, you probably had going over and over in your mind, turn, 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 right? Anyone admit to that? Okay, all right, okay. Some of you are not even of the boomer generation. You raised your hand. Okay. All right. The band, the Birds, made this passage popular in the year 1965. The song was written before that. It was written about a decade before that, but it was made popular in 1965 with this band called the Birds. If you don't never heard it before? Look it up on YouTube. It's there. Okay. Now. A lot of times, people stop at verse 8. In fact, verses 1 through 8 are often read at funerals or special events or something like that. Rarely, I've never yet, I've never heard someone read verse 9 in that. What gain has the worker from all of this alone, right? But we have to take the whole chapter here to understand what our authors communicate here. So, when we talk about verses 1 through 8, the cycle of life, here there's two very similar terms. They have considerable overlap, but there is some nuanced distinction there. And that is in verse 1, it talks about there is a season and a time. In the seasons, those are things like eras, okay? So that could be in a personal level. So you, maybe it could be your primary phase in life. And so for a while, my primary phase in life, I was a child and I was a student. And then the, your occupation, uh, husband, father, retirement, that could be the era that you're in, right? Okay, that phase of like your primary phase of life. Or maybe a, a, an era could be your hobbies, okay? And so uh, basketball used to be all I did in any of my free time that I had on my hands. I would play basketball as much as I could. Not anymore. Okay? Due to aging and lack of free time, basketball is not my go-to thing anymore. But it was at one time. That era was done. Maybe some of you had a, a, an era in your life where you had a specific collection. Some of you at some time put spent considerable energy maybe into a Beanie Baby collection at one time. Or a Longa Burger basket. Yes, I know what those are. And maybe a spoon from every state in the union, okay? I'm guessing that those of you who once time at one time spent time collecting those things, you're not currently doing that anymore. That era was a time in your life. It's a season in its gone. It could be not just personal, but groups or nations, right? We say that something is the end of an era. Like when Tom Brady retired, the football world says this is the end of an era for about a month. <laughs> and then he says, no, I'm coming back. The era has resumed. <laughs> All right? Okay. Um, presidential administrations are an era, right? Okay. Whatever's popular in culture, right? Who remembers wearing a pager, sporting a Walkman? Or impressing someone with that really 
really great eight-track player in your car. All right? Okay? You don't have those things anymore. No one's doing that anymore. That was a time. Okay, that's the season. That was the era. Okay, that's what he means by season. What about times? Okay, these are more specific. These are moments. These are the moments in the eras. So those specific events that happened here. That time you got the first buck when you were hunting. First buck. Or the time you laugh so hard you think back that your sides and your head hurt and maybe even milk out The time you lost your wedding ring and searched all over for it. The time you hugged your child for the very first time. The time you bought your first home. The time you cried so hard that you never thought that there would be any more tears to shed. These are those moments, those times. And this is what Kohalath is saying here. He says, for everything, there's a season and a time for every matter. Back and forth, back and forth. And then at the end, they cancel each other out, and we haven't made any progress. That's why verse 9 is there. That leads us to this central question in life here. What gain has the worker from all his toil here? That's it. So he looks at all the time for everything, and he says, yes, there's the time for everything, but they kind of cancel each other out, so what's the point? What's the gain? How did we get better in life? How did we advance in life if it's just this cycle, the cycle of life that just keeps going over and over again? This is a central question that our author here is presenting to us. Here. He says, what's the point? But then he gives an answer. In verses 9 and following, he starts surprising us with how he answers this question. He answers it this way. That life is actually a gift to be enjoyed. Now, you, you, you wouldn't think that this is where he's going with this. Hey, you know, he's talked about everything's, you know, hell. He's talking about light from the sun. It's, remember last week, it was chasing the wind. That was the metaphor he used. He said, everything's just chasing the wind. And remember, we talked about how absurd it is to think about that someone is chasing the wind, okay? He's never going to catch it. He's never going to get it. It, it. it seems like pointless. And, and he's talking about this. And then here, he's going to start unpacking this at the end. And he says here, that it's, in verse 13, it's God's gift to man. So the answer is that to the central question, what is there to gain, or how is this to be uh, beneficial to me and to you, the answer is this. It's that you are to enjoy this life under the sun. You're supposed to. You're supposed to enjoy this life. So the question, obviously, then, is, okay, how? You've just unpacked, you've just told us how that all this is, is hevel. You've just told us that it is meaningless and so many ways advantage. It's a vapor. Poof, it's gone. And he says, now I want you to enjoy this life. We talked about it a little bit last week at the end of chapter 2 as well. Well, let's look at verse 11. Verse 10, I'll start verse 10. He says, I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in this time. See, as he's pondering, as this expert, our expert teacher, our philosopher, is walking us through this, he's sharing the things that he has seen and learned in his life experiences and his musings and his thoughts. He says that everything is beautiful. So how are we to enjoy this life? By seeing the recurrence of beauty in life. 
He says it over and over again that everything is beautiful in its time. One of the things I love about this time of year is this is the time that as I get older I appreciate it so much more is that flowers begin to come up. And we were just looking yesterday at our house and tulips are coming up and there's a really cool orange one and there's different colors and like that. At one time in my life the only thing I saw about the flowers was something to mow. Okay, my mom who's visiting here today will test that I probably ruined more than one of I mowed over them when I was a kid. I didn't really know what was a plant or anything. I wasn't taking time to notice it. I wanted to get back to playing basketball, and I had to mow the lawn. So if it was green, it got mowed. <laughs> right? Okay, so I get back to playing basketball. Right? Nate understands what I'm talking about here. Okay? All right? Get back to basketball. Right? So, but as I get older, I've started seeing beauty, beauty in these areas. Think about the recurrence over and over again. All the things, they don't necessarily only cancel each other out, but there's beauty in all these things. That's what he's saying. He says, you know, I've seen the business that God has for him. He's going to call it later on a gift, right? Beauty, this reoccurrence of beauty. Over and over again. You see, not just in seasons and in nature, but in relationships, in acts of kindness and generosity. You see it over and over again. This is how our author is telling us to live life and see it as a gift to be enjoyed by, by embracing and seeing the reoccurrence of beauty in your life. i got to move on. There's, there's five of these. Secondly, he talks about the sense that we are part of a, a larger picture and purpose. In verse 11, he says, he's made everything beautiful thing. Also, he's put eternity into man's heart. And so he's put this into man's heart that they realize, wait a minute here, there's something beyond us. And this is true of all humanity. All humans have this, this instinctive nature about them. They just know there's, there's something bigger. I, I, I've talked to or there's something larger than themselves. Even if they don't believe in a God figure, they know that the universe is bigger. That something is greater than them. There's, there's no one that I've talked to that ever said, no, 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 no. I am greater than nature. I am greater than nature. Right? The metaphor of chasing the wind was this whole idea of saying that we're not stronger than nature, we're not stronger than the forces that God has put in this earth. And so one of those things is that but, but how we can stop and we can enjoy this life more is we understand we're part of a larger picture, we're part of a larger purpose. Now, the Bible spells it out for us what that is, and that is that we are part of God's design. We are part of God's creation. And we are designed to give glory to Him. And we're designed to encourage others and build one another up. And so when we read the Bible, we see what that design, that greater purpose and plan is for our lives. God's been eternity in our hearts. All of us have this idea that we're, we're something part of a large, larger picture, something else that's important. And our author here, he says, This is how you enjoy life. This, you embrace that fact. You, you, you say, okay, that, that you're part of something better, bigger. That this isn't what your, your, your reality that you have is not all there is. Something bigger than God's creation. But, he says, continuing on in verse 11, even though these put eternity in his heart, yes, so that he cannot find out what God has switched from That sounds inspiring. So third, yeah, how we enjoy that is by greatly embracing the limitations of our heart. So even though we know that there's a turn up in our heart, we know that there's a part of a larger picture purpose, we don't know but if I 
they may sing. And sometimes that's just absolutely blessing. Whereas Kohelet here is saying, no, 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 no. Solomon here is saying, no, no, no. Don't let that be a source of frustration to you. Allow that to make that so that you're allowed to then enjoy life, that you don't know everything. I shared with you before the phrase came and things like that. And again, I'm not advocating for Solomon. It could be, you know, the reason why that is. It's not so that's not the point. But the point is, is that even though we know we're part of a larger picture, a larger part of we don't know all of it, and that's actually comforting. I read this. The input is sent to the Plenty of my children's frustration. And then it's just doesn't apply and go through the microphone. And we are often working so it wasn't online. Yeah, yeah, and it was echoing online. It wasn't doing it. Where then where they're allowed to go, they're not allowed better to go. Online, so. Their little lives find the rhythms and times within the order fold that we, the parents, seek to provide. Although they don't always recognize it, this is meant to provide them with the tremendous security yeah, and, the right, and the best kind of freedom. They are free. From the stress and worry of trying to coordinate them, to tie up loose ends, and balance decisions about time and place. And how to get to one of them to swimming, and another to gymnastics while preparing dinner, and remembering to cut grass, and to get to the prayer meeting. The kids are free from all that because they don't have to worry about all those things because they don't know the full picture. Part of being wise in this world is learning to accept that we have an only very limited access to. But keep in mind, God is not being unkind to us by not sharing us or giving us full access. Yeah, it's still the point great. is, is that we are not built to understand the big picture precisely because we live in time and place where it's You see, this is how we can enjoy life so much better. It's like, okay, now you've got that. You've got the thing. I don't know it all. But the problem is, is that when we try to figure it all out and we're trying to, to, to chase everything down, we start working ourselves up. We start, we start trying to, 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 to get all the answers that there's something we're just not designed to have the answers to. There's a lot of things that happen in this world that we need to mourn and we need to fight against and push against as we're able to. We need to understand, remember we talked a couple weeks ago, or last week I think it was, of how that some crooked things are just not going to be made straight in this life. This is how we enjoy life. You say, is that really what he's after? This was surprising to me. This is what he's after. He's telling us to enjoy this life under the sun. We're going to get into why that's true. Number four, how is life as a gift to be enjoyed? By following simple instructions. Look at verse 12. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. And also, everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all the soil. This
produces good things just for us to enjoy, when we put those into position that they are then are, are going to be where our ultimate hope is in, we have no joy. This is what he's saying. Life under the sun is to be enjoyed. Be happy. Enjoy what God has given to you. Be holy. Do good towards other people. This, did you notice this in verse, the end of verse 13? This is God's gift to man. There's one other, and we're going to come back and summarize some of these. By being assured of God's stability and power. This is how we enjoy life. Did you look at verse 14? I perceived that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it. Nothing can be taken from it. God has done it so that people fear him. That which is already has been, that which is to be, has been, and God seeks what has been driven away. Verse 15 is a notoriously difficult uh, verse to translate from the Hebrew, um, but the idea there is what, sees what God seeks what has been driven away. It's an idea of God's justice that he's going after what has been taken or wrongly uh, dealt with. And so here he is, he's saying that which is, is, is already has been, that which is to be, has already been. But look at verse 14, as I said, that whatever God does, it endures forever, and he does it so that we fear him. We see here that God is eternal, right? And what he does deserves our awe and respect. And so if we see this, we see what God is doing and that he's orchestrating in time. We say, okay, all right. How he's working through our life, we say, okay, and receive it from his hand. Rather than trying to fight him on it, rather than trying to push against it, rather than trying to create our own destiny all the time, you know, we're obeying, we're following his commands, we're, we're, we're following after him as much as we can, and, and, and we have those times of stumbling, of course, where we need to repent, need to forgive, ask God's forgiveness, all that, of course. But our, the trajectory of our life is that we're just going to enjoy this life while we're on this earth, and we're going to do good and follow God. Health here is saying, that's what you're designed to do, okay? Now, some of you may be getting a little uncomfortable at this point. Some of you might be saying, oh, wait a minute here, this doesn't sound, this sounds like you're, you know, just kind of this too feel good of a sermon here that we're just supposed to, you know, flo- you know, frolic in grass fields and just, you know, enjoy life and, you know, look at life through Pollyanna lens and ignore stuff. Are, are, you, are you saying that we should ignore the reality of difficulty and sin and pain and all that stuff? You know, we have to deal with these problems that come up. Are you just saying, well, no, I'm going to be happy happy, 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 you know. Is that what you're saying? No. What I am saying, though, is that the purpose that God has given to this life, what he's asked us to walk through, he's told us that this life is not designed for you to know everything there is to know. You have to accept the limitations. You have to accept that you are, you're certainly not going to be able to fix everything. You do the best you can, but you do it for the glory of God, and you enjoy what he's given to us. Some of us were so busy trying to accomplish all of our goals and all the other things that we, we're not even enjoying what God has given to us. Some of us were so trying to get our kids to get to 18, not in jail, okay, and alive. That's our goal, that we're not even enjoying them. Some of us are so busy in the throes of parenting or in our work, we're trying to climb the corporate ladder or we're trying to get the advancement or we're trying to work through this, that we're not even enjoying our jobs. We don't even like it. We don't even like what we're doing. Some of us, maybe maybe some of you in the retirement years, it's like you got there. You're like, oh, I was waiting for it. I was waiting for it. And I'm finally here. And then it's like, boy, 
I'm more busy than I thought I was going to be. Or the opposite is, I don't really have much to do. I don't like this. There's a reason why a lot of people, when they retire, they go get a, a second job, you know, or go get a part-time job. A lot of times it's because their wife tells them to. Um, um, but, you know, other than that, uh, there's reasons for that because there's this sense of, of something missing, right? Because we just got to be able to enjoy the things. This is one of the things the Lord's working in my heart about, if I can be transparent. This is one of the things the Lord's been using Ecclesiastes about for me, is that um, I need to be able to just accept the limitations of life and enjoy what God has given. Just enjoy it. Enjoy it for a moment. But sometimes we're so busy thinking of the next thing. It's, it, it's, like, uh, it, it's like we... We're, we're enjoying, you know, maybe we go out to lunch and we're enjoying this really nice lunch and it's like maybe a really nice steak or something like that and everything. And the whole time we're eating, we're like, man, I wonder what's for dinner. Man, I wonder what we're going to do for dinner. I don't know what we're going to do. I've got to plan dinner. Everything. It's like, just stop. I'm not always good at that. Let me tell you a story if I can. My wife, when we were dating, okay, she lived in Belgium. If you didn't know, Belgium is known for chocolates, not waffles, chocolates, okay, all right? They have great chocolates there. So we were dating, and so she sent me a bunch of chocolate. Do you remember how much? A couple pounds of chocolate, okay? And so I got it like on Monday or whatever, and I told her, hey, I got the chocolate. Send her a message, AOL message, right? Okay. Yeah, remember that? You got mail. But anyway, so um, I think it was like Tuesday maybe, Tuesday night or something like that. We talk on the phone. And she's like, hey, did you try some of the chocolate? I said, oh, yeah, it was good. She said, wait, wait, wait a minute. It was good? Like, do you have any left? No. That was dinner. <laughs> I was a single guy, <laughs> you know. I was like, hey, I got dinner for, taken care of, right? Okay. She goes, you ate it all? I was like, you gave it to me. <laughs> you know, I was like, I, I didn't know this was something I had to share, you know, or something like that. And she's like, no, it's like, you're, you're supposed to like kind of like, you know, savor it and enjoy it. And so I'm like, I may die. I don't know, you know. So as I get older, this is what Ecclesiastes is teaching me is like, Whoa, slow down. Savor this. Enjoy this a little bit more, right? Don't be so busy getting to the next thing and all that stuff. This is God's gift to us. This world is difficult. Life under the sun it seems meaningless. It is vapor. It's going away quickly. And he says, don't be so focused on everything else. Just, 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 just enjoy it. Just enjoy it a little bit here. And how do we do that? We have these things here. God's power. There's simple instructions to follow gratefully embrace our limitations. We sense we're part of a bigger picture, so we know this isn't it, so we can just enjoy this, even in all the weaknesses of it, because if we think that this is it, we're going to be really frustrated. But if we're like, no, this is just a temporary stop. It's okay, all right? We can enjoy this so much better when we can see this recurring beauty in life. Okay, so we've looked at this morning already the cycle of life, and we've answered the central question about life that is brought up to us in verse 9. And so the gain for us is that we're to enjoy life. Then we get verse 16. 
And boy, this week, as I was studying for this, I was tracking through verses 1 through 8, and I was thinking, how does 16 through 22 fit? How does this fit into this, right? It seems like he's kind of all over the map here. Well, I think what he's doing here is I believe he's raising a complicating factor in life for us to consider here, okay? And so, um, he says this. He says, moreover, I saw under the sun, there's that phrase again, that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. In the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. So, I said in my heart, God would judge the righteous and the wicked for there's a time for every matter and for every work. So, what is the complicating factor in life of, okay, okay, do good, right? Enjoy, be happy, be holy, okay, good, all right, sounds great. What's the complicating factor? Sin, right? Sin is this complicating factor. He says there's weakness, but in ever since the Garden of Eden, right, okay, again, there's, there's hints that all throughout this that, that um, the author is is, is has in mind Genesis 1, 2, and 3. I haven't developed that theme a whole lot so far, but it's there. It's this idea. I did a little bit. I touched on it last week when it seemed like he was trying to reconstitute uh, and recreate uh, uh, Eden with all the things that he created with the parks and the gardens and the trees and things like that. It seems that even some of the words that he uses are very similar to what happens in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And so it seems like he has this in mind as he is writing this, okay? And so we go back even to the Garden of Eden that sin is the complicating factor here. Sin, I mean, excuse me, the Garden of Eden was just a wonderful place to be. It was a place for Adam and Eve to just enjoy God and enjoy this world, enjoy their work. It was something that we should just enjoy, just be happy and be holy. That's what we were designed to be. And so what, what he's saying here is he's saying in, in beforehand, he's saying this is what we need to be, right? We need to do this the best we can. But here's the point is that there's a complicating factor in all this. That's called sin, and not only that, and that's what messed up the Garden of Eden, by the way, and then now we've inter- inherited it. But not only is sin the complicating factor, but here he does is he, he puts, he talks about sin in quote-unquote unlikely places. He talks about the courtroom, this idea of where there's, there's justice, right? There's a place in the place of justice, even there was weakness. So he has in mind there this idea of, of the courtroom or the highest court in the land. And so when you go into the court, you, you expect there to be fair. You expect a, a, the judge to rule according to the law. You expect the judge to live by the law and the attorneys to live by the law. And so he says that that's the place where you would think everything would be on the up and up. But when you... He says, I go to the courtroom, and even there is wickedness. Don't we see that in our culture? Let me tell you about Thomas Maloney. He was a judge in Cook County. Some of you are like, okay, yeah, not surprised. Okay, all right. He was a judge in Cook County, Illinois from 1977 to 1991. He and uh, several other judges were the focus of an investigation called Operation Greylord. This operation was a joint investigation by the FBI, the IRS, the USPS, the Postal Service got in on it, and the United, uh, the, excuse me, the Illinois State Police. They were going after corrupt judges. See, what Maloney was doing is that he was giving out sentences, um, particularly in high-profile murder cases. In exchange for rigging the murder cases, he got over $100,000 in bribes, they found out. Judge Maloney let mafia members, murderers, and gangsters walk free as long as he got 
his feet. Even in the place of courts, there's wickedness. Let me tell you one more story. There's a judge from Pennsylvania. He was a huge supporter. He was known. His nickname was Mr. Zero Tolerance. He gave out harsh sentences to kids. He sent thousands of children to the local detention center during his tenure in Pennsylvania. Once he sent an 11-year-old to a juvenile detention for almost two years after the kid took his mom's car for a joyride down the block. He also sent a 15-year-old to the same detention facility for mocking her assistant principal online. And then gave a 17-year-old five months in the detention center for helping steal DVDs. Now, why did he do this? Because, as you probably know, he got kickbacks from the facility where he sent those kids. Most hearings lasted only two minutes, and it was discovered that he got up to a million dollars for putting hundreds of innocent children behind bars. This is life under the sun. So you say, how do we enjoy that? This is the complicating factor. Sin. Once we understand the sin in our own hearts and sin all around us, how do we enjoy life? How can we be happy and be holy? Not only the courtroom. He says, in the place of righteousness, verse 16. No doubt Kohel's would have had the idea of the temple in mind here, but you and I could think of the church. It's easy to think of the tragedy of the abuse of altar boys by Catholic priests. For us right now, I think, yeah, there's the abuse and there was the wickedness in churches. One could also think of the prosperity gospel preachers who only use the church for, as a way for their own financial gain. But we need to be careful because Protestant churches, Baptist churches like us, have reprehensible examples as well. Christianity Today wrote an article in November of 2021 titled, Corruption is Rampant in the Church, Who Should We Hold Responsible? There are far too many examples of greed, adultery, and abuse that have happened inside the walls of Protestant Baptist churches as well. So how, again, I ask the question then, we had the cycle of life, we had the central question answered, and we have this idea of, okay, be happy, be holy, that's good, but now we got the complicating factor of sin. How can we, how can we, with our author here, say, yes, we're supposed to enjoy life in the presence of such heinous sin, and we could go on and on with even worse examples. Well, there's a solution here that he gives, right? There's a solution in verse 17. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked. For there is a time for every matter and for every work. First of all, the solution to this is the assurance of God's justice, right? And so it's comforting for us to think about that this judge is now in jail because he, all those lives that he totally uh, you know, hurt and he pushed aside and, 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 and he, he brought pain upon, he is paying for that. Justice will serve. So it's easy for us to be very comforting about that. And there is a comforting element to justice. The human trafficker will be judged. The person who stole from you will be judged. Okay, The woman who said terrible things to you will be judged. The guy on the belt line that cut you off my friend, will be judged, okay? All right? It's comforting. It's also terrifying. It's also terrifying to think through this idea of my own sin and the stupid and selfish things that I have said or have done. I shudder to think of God's judgment on me. 
So again, the question is, how are we to live happy and holy in this life? Okay, we've got this complicating factor of sin. What are we supposed to do with this? Well, God's justice is there, and that's very helpful that sin will be dealt with. And it's comforting on one level, but it's also terrifying. Then there's a surprising thing that the author gives us, is the assurance of death is to be comforting to us. You say, what? Verse 18, I said in my heart with regard to the children of man, God is testing them that they should, may see themselves that they are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. One dies, so dies the other. And so he gets into this discussion about how beasts and uh, humans, they're really the same in the sense that they're going to live and they're going to die and they're going to go to the same place. That is the ground. Their bodies go into the earth. Now, he's not saying here in this discussion, and I'm not going to get into it. I could talk to you afterwards if you have some questions about, about the spirit. Is it going up and down and all that? He really is not talking about do animals go to heaven, do they not go to heaven, everything like that. He's just talking about, listen, no one has experienced this, right? No one has, he has, has, has walked through this and said, this is exactly what happens. He's saying all we know for certain is we all die. And he's bringing this as a way of comforting to us. Like we, like animals, will live and die. But here's the difference, though, is unlike animals, we can enjoy life between birth and death. He's saying that he's testing us to see that, that we're different than this. You know, don't see yourself as only the same. See, the animals, they live and they die, and then they don't really have the enjoyment in life. But humans, we can have this enjoyment of life. He's bringing this comparison, and he's it's to show that God presses us not to be like beasts who live, work, and die with no enjoyment in life. The beaver can build his dam, but he cannot sit down after a hard day's work, thank God for his job, his family, his food, and then enjoy all that he has accomplished that he has been given. Humans have been given that. That is the gift, right? Verse 22, so I saw that there's nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his law. So to summarize here, we can enjoy our life under the sun because God will take care of the sin in this world, and this world isn't all there is. That's what he's getting at there. So I need to bring this to close. I said earlier that a time for everything includes enjoying life under the sun. We can't see what will happen under the sun after our time is done. That's what verse 22 says. Our lot is to enjoy our time here in life is to be happy. We don't enjoy life under the sun when we make it something that's not intended to be. But when we make something more important than it is, we don't enjoy it very much because we're too busy to try to protect it, to make it something that it is not to enjoy it. Kohela says again and again to accept life under the sun for what it is, to enjoy it and to look beyond this life under the sun for ultimate hope and satisfaction. Our purpose is to do good, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, for we are his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus, that uh, for good works was God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. So in other words, happiness and holiness go together. Remember, he's raising questions for us to ponder, not giving all the answers along the way. We need to look at other places. So I want to give you two questions to ponder here before we transition to the table. What keeps you from enjoying life? Be specific. And then how could you enjoy life better? Hint, happiness and holiness go together. I, I told you about the complicating factor of sin. And you say, well, that kind of messed it up. Remember our catechism question today? We have a Redeemer. Who is that Redeemer? Jesus Christ. This is why you and I can enjoy life even though there is the complicating factor called sin. This is why the idea of God's justice is, can be comforting, and while it's terrifying at the same time, it doesn't have to be. 
Because Jesus Christ came and he lived a life of perfect obedience. And he lived a life that you and I could never live. He lived a life of perfect holiness. And he did that so that when he died and he voluntarily died, taking the punishment of sin, and then when he took all of God's wrath upon him, upon sin, and so that then if we believe in Jesus, then his righteousness, the righteousness that is needed for us to be saved from our sins is transferred to our account. It's put on our account from Jesus. Our sin is transferred to him. He bore the penalty. He, he absorbed God's wrath. When he rose from the dead, the reason why that's so important is because it shows that God's wrath was satisfied, and he rose from the dead. And now, through belief in Jesus Christ, we can be saved. This is why you and I, we can truly enjoy life under the sun, because the complicating factor called sin has been taken care of by Jesus. Amen. So this is why his justice then is something we just rejoice in, because, because his justice was poured out on Jesus. This is, this is why the idea of death is even encouraging for us to live and enjoy this life under the sun because this isn't all we have. We have something far better to go, but God's not done with us here, so let's just enjoy this stop while we're here. Do you see how the complicating factor, apart from Jesus, ruins everything? But with Jesus, it's actually no complication at all, and we can enjoy life. But so often we live as the beast, we live as those who have no hope. Let's not do that. So what's robbing you of your joy? What's robbing you of your happiness? What can you do to change that? There's other questions for reflection on the handout there also and the app on Church Center. You can look at some of those.